eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is a T. Watson TR edition of the program. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BOL alongside site publisher Tim Watts. It is a Wednesday, May the 3rd, 2023. So much to get into on the podcast today. Of course, we'll get to our BamaOnline.com roundtable mailbag coming up later in the program. We're going to get Tyler Buckner reaction from Tim Watts. That one broke the day after our last meeting together here on the podcast. We'll get into the NFL draft. We'll talk some pro sports, some Alabama baseball. The surreality that is Alabama baseball in 2023 takes another bizarre turn in the last few days. So plenty to talk about with Tim Watts. Hey, Tim, you know what's coming up? Cinco de Mayo falls on a Friday this year. So what do you think the uh what do you think the call in rate or the uh opt out rate's gonna be for you know people around the country or everywhere just uh taking this Friday off? I would say it's pretty high. I think Friday's the highest day anyway, right? I yeah. The day you come up with the most illnesses and reasons not to go in. But yeah, that's a, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I realized last night how sports related my life is. Because the reason I knew it was Cinco de Mayo is because I saw a new era had Cinco de Mayo hats and I was looking for the <laughs> brains. So I knew it was coming up. That's sad, isn't it? Like I had no idea otherwise, but I'm like, uh oh, here we go, new era. We Man, some- it shows you too. Pro sports, major league sports, they don't miss an op opportunity when it comes to merchandise do they i only saw six teams but seattle looked really good i mean some pretty boisterous colors so seattle looked really good kind of that you know they're kind of that that younger in mind team with those different colors from everybody else but yeah that's sad that's how i knew cinco de mayo was coming up but yeah i imagine we'll have a few people calling in you know um i guess i guess there might be actually more people calling in if cinco de mayo was on thursday oh yeah it be. might might actually not be as bad because if it was on Thursday, oof, after the uh, Margaritaville trips uh, on a Thursday, uh, might be a lot of folks out on Friday. You get that long weekend. You get Friday. Exactly. So you already have, you have the excuse you're looking for Thursday, and then you're off Friday with a reason to continue your party. So, yeah. Yeah. And it has to be, You can, I, I don't think you can call in sick the day after Cinco de Mayo because everybody knows you're not sick, right? I mean, they know you're just hung over probably. It's, yeah. it's a tough, it's a tough one to sell on the sick. It has to be more of a personal day. I guess those kind yeah. of are the same thing maybe. In the corporate world, I don't feel like you can really ask people if they're really sick, you know, I feel like you can get in some trouble for asking. <laughs> you know, Do uh, you have documentation? I mean, like, yeah. For me to miss a day of school, I had to have 11, you know, signed documents, including from the governor, for my mom <laughs> to allow me to miss a day. Yo, yo, yo your stomach's going to hurt it here just as well as it is at school. So, mm. you know. Well, here, here's another number that uh, uh, we could call Cinco. Cinco as in the number of scholarship quarterbacks Alabama currently has, Tim. How about that for a segue? With Tyler Buckner. Uh, apparently coming on from Notre Dame. We didn't, we weren't able to get your thoughts last week, obviously, because we're on Wednesday and this all transpired really on Thursday morning. We knew Tyler Buckner had been in Tuscaloosa visiting, uh, but the news truly broke last Thursday that he was in fact headed to the Crimson Tide. Initial reaction and maybe even with some time to contemplate this move, your thoughts. 
You know, it's, it's, you know, from the film that's available, there's just not a lot of games. I mean, you can look at one where he was not very good at all. You can look at another where he was pretty good, especially against South Carolina. You have to factor in, I think, that that was kind of a skeleton crew for the for the Gamecocks. I remember people sitting out and all kind of stuff happening, but definitely looked better there. For me, you know, for me with a with a quarterback especially, I think it just comes down to the to the offensive coordinator. I mean, obviously Tommy Reese played a part in this. He felt comfortable. I'll tell you the one thing I found really interesting. Uh, very interesting, in fact, was the fact that, you know, I was seeing stories where Tyler Buckner, when Hartman showed up at Notre Dame, was kind of mentoring him, teaching him the offense. I think they were buddies, maybe went to spring break together. Some some story I was reading was that like he helped teach the guy that was coming in to beat him the offense. So at least, you know, you're getting a guy that's going to come in and help four guys that are brand new to this offense. Um, he was a pretty highly recruited guy. I just... From what I've seen, I just haven't seen enough to draw a conclusion. I'm not going to be on the side that, that freaks out over the bad game. I'm not going to be on the side that that uh, crowns him a future number one pick off the good game. I'm just going to wait and see. And, you know, this is just that situation where you got to trust your coach and you got to trust your plan. And it definitely brings a guy with some experience in there. Otherwise, you're looking at just Jalen with some game experience. You know, you bring Buckner in there. He's got some. And. Uh, it certainly makes it interesting with with five quarterbacks um, made it through the portal. So they're there to compete. You know, all the he gone, he gone, he gone. The minute Buckner committed, didn't didn't quite pan out. Uh, the portal is closed. I imagine that window uh, anybody leaving would be out by now. So um, definitely a, a fun and interesting situation. I wasn't what I expected going into the portal unless it was a big name guy. And I knew they, they're bigger name guys. They kind of shied away from, cause there was a lot of uh, NIL money attached to them. And, you know, a lot of these guys have agents and stuff now. So uh, interesting situation indeed. Yeah. I think you hit on it. The familiarity that was there with Reese and Buckner Reese had spent a couple of years with Tyler Buckner and South Bend really just a couple of months with the quarterbacks he inherited at Alabama, uh, you're right too in terms of trying to evaluate Tyler Buckner based on previous performances at Notre Dame because there's not a lot there. He had an injury. Uh, he had some good things. He had some bad things. Really going in depth on the Gator Bowl performance against South Carolina is tricky because, as you said, it almost feels like these days outside of the college football playoff. Bowl games are like spring games. That's what they kind of had the feel of now in, in terms of importance, certainly, um, and, and just guys who are available. You know, spring games, you see guys like Dallas Turner out, Chris Braswell out, Kool-Aid McKinstry in the spring misses a scrimmage. Uh, but I'll say this for Buckner, too, in that South Carolina game. He didn't have Michael Mayer, the uh, tight end. He was uh, an opt-out for Notre Dame. So it kind of, I guess, works both ways, right? No, absolutely it does. It affects everything from both sides of the ball. Both teams lost talent. It's hard to it's hard to really judge anything off of that. Now, there's very few games, you know, obviously the college football playoffs, but the Bama game, Bama Kansas State were two teams pretty throttled up, you know. So that was a kind of our best for sure best. But for the most part, you do have so many guys opting out or injuries or Guys that hit the portal now. Some of them didn't even wait for the bowl game and just took off before the portal. So everything changed. I'm just going to take a wait and see approach. I mean, I don't know. I don't like to assume anything when it comes. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows who the starter is going to be right now. I think I saw Jalen do some really good things in the spring game. Um, he did, you know, had a few uh, knucklehead plays. Uh, I, I felt the same about Simpson. Maybe not as many like NFL type plays, but some very consistent plays, uh, especially finding the shorter yards guys and and not taking as many risks. So I think both of them still have four months to work in there. Buckner still has time to gel. I will say this: the people that say, you know, Buckner didn't have the talent at Notre Dame he does here, that's a valid argument. That's a valid argument. Notre Dame did not have the skilled players that Alabama does right now. So. Um, in any aspect of the game, especially not the depth. So that's certainly going to help him uh, on a personal level. Yeah, I don't think Notre Dame, even by Irish standards, where the offensive line is concerned, had that kind of group. 
from what I can tell in 2022. And so a lot to contemplate. I, I think my stance moving forward is um, not surprised that we didn't see one or two guys just jump into the transfer portal almost simultaneous with uh, Buckner's decision. And as you outlined, the portal for now has closed. If you're not in by now, you're not getting in. Now, grad transfers can still get in whenever they're ready, whenever they want to. I guess what the next mile marker will be, obviously, you would think, is fall camp. Now, I mean, the team's going to reconvene at the end of May, early June. That's when the few late enrollees will join all those guys we saw that enrolled at mid-year along with the returning roster. So that'll be one in and of itself as summer workouts get underway. Um, but really, I think fall camp is where all eyes are going to be positioned. And it brings into question a couple of things. If you legitimately have, and I want your thoughts on whether or not you think this is legitimate at this point, is this really at this point a three-man competition with Buckner coming in with Simpson and Milrow? Or do you think it could be down to two maybe in the eyes of Tommy Reese and Nick Saban with Buckner coming in to take on Milrow or Simpson? and if it is a three-man competition, I'm not sure how you were able to get three guys enough reps to truly evaluate all three of those guys equally as you start to move through fall camp. I mean, they obviously see Tommy Reese, Nick Saban, that the whole staff obviously sees more than we do. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was completely knocked down to two. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't really notice. I mean, I feel like Jalen's got a lead over Simpson. Um, at the at, over Tyler at this over Ty at this point, but I didn't think it would be a commanding enough lead to um, to completely like knock him where he's not going to compete. And I know the guy's going to compete, and he did some really nice things too. I still think it's a three man race. Mm-hmm. I still, but it is hard to get those reps. I think you're going to have to basically whittle it down, like you know, like run. You're going to have to cut it down. It's going to be at three. And then it's going to have to go to two. And that's, you know, that's when the rubber is going to meet the road. And I think the rubber meets the road, perhaps not only in terms of the game one starter, eventually that you're going to choose from those three guys, but also the size of your quarterback room going into the season, because five quarterbacks, Tim, going into the season, five quarterbacks going into fall camp is one thing, five quarterbacks going into a season Scholarship quarterbacks, that's a lot of guys in any era, let alone the transfer portal era. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you are, you are, you do, it sort of changes a little bit, I think, because you're factoring in two true freshmen and mm-hmm. came in almost as a baseball, not, you know, obviously not on a baseball scholarship, but I think most people until that spring game thought of Dylan as more of a baseball player. Um, you know, we even had questions could he be drafted, uh, you know, on the message board? So I think he opened up a lot of eyes with his performance, but. Uh, yeah, five's a lot. You know, most teams are trying to hold on to three. So you got five guys and, you know, I think you've got five guys that were all in or around that top 100 at the end of the day. Definitely all four star guys. So there's some talent on there for sure. No doubt. And you talk about Dylan Lonergan. It's kind of why I almost have to recuse myself from this discussion, because I know I know it was one spring game. Uh, he didn't probably even receive half the reps. Uh, with with the quarterback situation being what it was for his team and that. But, man, I think you still saw enough of that dude just in terms of what he's made of and his wiring. And then on top of that, he looks to be physically capable of doing everything you have to do at the position. Um, got a little bit of a quarterback crush already on Dylan Lonergan, I Tim. Re- so. I think what keeps you out of that is the restraining order. <laughs> that keeps you out of this discussion. Yeah, it is 100 yards, right? Hey, Isn't I, that what? Hang on, yeah. An NFL guy, longtime friend of mine, former offense coordinator in the NFL, and he mentioned Dylan. And I talked to a former Bama assistant who's been at practice, and he mentioned Dylan. Mm-hmm. Not prompted, not anything to do. Unsolicited. Almost, yeah. almost in the hey, they've got a guy there. He's young, but boom. They were talking about Dylan. These are two conversations that had none really wasn't even talking about the quarterback. So there's something there. We saw what you did. You know, obviously the naysayers will say the competition, he, you know, obviously going, he wasn't going against the ones. Um, and of course he would have been at a distinct disadvantage, but man, he looks 
the part of a quarterback. And half the time, that's you know, that's that's a huge first step is looking like a quarterback. And yeah. He, the the whole who a quarterback goes against in a scrimmage kind of drives me crazy. I'm I'm on record about that because it's not like other positions, right? If I look at the second team left tackle and he's going against the second team edge and he's dominating the second team edge, well, then I can kind of ask the question, yeah, but what if he were going against Dallas Turner? I, that's a one-on-one that I can sort of deduct yeah. from and come to that conclusion. The quarterback is so dependent upon everyone around him. And yes, it's on the quarterback to lift the play of the entire offense. I get that. But, you know, if a guy's going against two, it was it was the case with Tua in his first spring game when he just lit it up. Oh, he's going against two. If you couldn't watch that guy and kind of see that he was also working with second team offensive personnel, that this guy isn't hellaciously talented and gifted. Well, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going there. Look, I'm not going there with Dylan Lonergan yet. I'm not going Tua with him. Just saying, I, I thought there were some obvious qualities that were were pretty much present. Um, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, again, he looked apart. He looked smooth. He rolled out. He checked down. He was that. He was that way in you know in high school. He was composed and smart. We talked about it when Alabama committed. I'm a you know I like Eli Holstein, big arm, big kid. Um, does a lot of things. But Dylan, given the second, you know, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say he was the he was the second quarterback to commit. But to get him was a was it was a tremendous get. I mean, we talked about it then was to have both those guys coming in um, with that kind of talent. And at the time, I think there was a lot of a lot of Major League Baseball talk. But I don't think he's pitched in several months. He had an injury. So I think baseball right now, you know, that and baseball could factor down the road. I think football is his focus. But, you know, baseball could factor down the road. That's the thing with Dylan. If he doesn't win the job. If he's not the starting quarterback, he can just go focus on baseball, too. So a lot of options we've got right there. Yeah, a lot a lot in play. I think we both answered that question about the Major League Baseball draft coming up on the roundtable, too, in terms of his eligibility, which he enrolled at a four-year university. And so that means he has to wait three years um, unless he were to bounce to a JUCO or something like that. Again, those are all hypotheticals that are out there related to the quarterback position. We talk about quarterbacks. What about Bryce Young? As anticipated, Tim, Bryce Young goes first overall to the, well, he goes to the Carolina Panthers with the first selection of the 2023 NFL draft. First Alabama player taken number one overall since Harry Gilmer way back in 1948 when I was about what, three or four years old. Why does Joe Namath not count? I think he was he was he was AFL number one overall, right? Yeah, yeah, he was twelfth. But the, he wasn't he wasn't NFL, I don't think. I think Joe enough. was like, yeah. I feel like he should be in the discussion though. He still went number one in a in a, in a, uh, a professional draft. Yes, yes. I feel like he should be in the discussion. He was taken twelfth yeah. overall by the St. Louis Cardinals mm-hmm. that in was the, the NFL draft. The two drafts back then, I think the. I'm not sure what era, but basketball used to have two drafts, didn't they? So like the ABA and the NBA, they yeah. had leagues that ended up merging. So the history of those sports is really good. But yeah, Bryce was pretty awesome to see him roll out there. And, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if they really got to know Bryce during the process, you know, during his college career. Because, I mean, if you're not a Bama fan, you know, you're probably not watching a lot of Bryce specials and same with Tua. But when they went national and they went, I think a lot of people laid eyes on Bryce and got to know him. They just, I mean, I had people texting me and, um, you know, other schools PMing me, fans talking about what a good kid he was. It's almost like they thought he was mine, but I had nothing to do with Mr. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bryce Young's raising. He was always a good kid. I was talking to Charles Power, uh, you know, who used to do the rankings at 24-7, and he was responsible for Bryce being number one. He's now with on three, but Charles was talking about – how he was at an event last year or the year before and that Bryce who had already, you know, was going to win the Heisman walked up and and he remembered him from the recruiting process, walked up, shook their hands, started talking to him. So just one of those very genuine kids and, you know, also extremely talented. The draft itself was amazing to me. It was amazing. I had been told by so many people that Gibbs was under Jamar Gibbs was under, was, was their number one running back. Their number one running back, it depended on the team. And to see him go at 12 was pretty 
you know, that was pretty amazing on top of Will going at three, you know, D'Amico trading up to get him. Um, uh, the Texans ended up with uh, Henry Toa Toa, too. So they've got quite a – have you noticed the NFL teams? We've got several teams drafting heavily of Bama players. So this Just a few, yep. Oh, the Eagles are ridiculous with the Bama Georgia. I think it's hilarious. I mean, they literally are – Bama, Georgia, on everything. Even their trades are Bama, Georgia. But, um, but yeah, I've noticed that with the uh, with Houston, they're 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 stockpiling some Bama guys, and uh, what a good spot for Henry Toa Toa and Anderson to be there with D'Amico, you know, absolutely, and a linebacker. So overall, that that draft to me, um, it was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, you saw some surprises like Cameron Latou. I I. Nobody I knew thought that that he was going that high. Uh, everybody thought he was a good pass catcher, but you know the 49ers, they're a smart organization. So you know, you know, plus one for him going that high and them taking a chance on him because he sure can run when he catches that football. I, I give Cam Latu a lot of credit too. Uh, early on in his career at Alabama, he came to Alabama as an edge, as an outside linebacker. And he was presented, I guess, with the opportunity to make the move to offense and tight end. And I think that looks really good for Cam Latou right now. And maybe some other young players out there that are just dead set intent on a specific position. Uh, if you give it a shot at another spot, yeah, it's the third round. But is Cam Latou going to go as a outside linebacker eventually in the third round? Probably not. So a, a real career-changing move, kind of like Eddie Jackson going from corner to safety, you know, during his time at Alabama. But uh, eight Alabama picks in the top 101 selections of the 2023 NFL draft. Alabama tied with Georgia for most overall picks in the draft with 10. Alabama surpasses Miami for most consecutive years, Tim, with a first-round pick. And that's one of those sort of – one of those sort of records, right, that when it's unfolding previously with Miami, you're thinking, man, I can't imagine any team matching that, let alone surpassing it with those great, great Miami teams of the 90s into the early aughts. Uh, and here's Alabama under Nick Saban making it happen. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, yeah, that is, like you said, you know, you see that, you think it's never going to be done again. And um Alabama's done it, expected to continue next year. Obviously, they've got some guys and um, just amazing from where we started. You know, it's almost like that song. We started at the bottom. Now we're here. You and I covered teams that, you know, <laughs> didn't have anybody drafted, right? Zero. Yeah, After like, Nick Saban's first season, like, 2008 NFL draft, zero picks, oh. not first round picks, picks. How is that even possible for an SEC school, SEC school? I went to that pro day in 2008, Tim. I think it was the Calgary Stampeders, uh, the Montreal Alouettes. Thompson High School. <laughs> <laughs> we had, we had some mom. arena teams, you know. Yeah, some, yeah, mom and pop. Semi-pro team from yeah. Birmingham was there. Yeah, uh, it, it was rough, dude. Yeah, it was uh, it's wild to see. I mean, it was good. You got, you know, Will's going to be a good player. Brian Branch, I mean, he did talked about this several times. He did exactly what I thought would happen with the with the safeties um, that happened so often. Uh, I do think he fell to a great spot. Again, we've discussed the Lions coach, and I think they're an up-and-coming team. I think they're drafting better than they ever have. They played better than they ever did. Last year, they've got a few few Bama boys over there now, so I think Branch ended up in a good spot. And I still, I still think Battle, Battle, you know, I know you're going to get to this question later, but the surprise, the one that I think is going to be surprised, I think Jordan Battle is going to be a good pro. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a good pro. I think the physical practices, I think he stayed dinged up for a lot of his time at Alabama. Um, and I think in the NFL where they don't really hit in practice, I think it's going to be a lot better for him. Yeah. You know, Jordan reminds me of a pick by my Jacksonville Jaguars last year, Andre Cisco at the safety position. I believe Cisco like, um, yeah, he was a third round pick too, just like Jordan. So that, that when Jordan was picked in that spot in the third round, I immediately thought of Andre Cisco. And I think Jordan's a better tackler than what I've seen from, uh, from Andre Cisco in in his first year anyway in Jacksonville. 
those safeties are basically, if they're not a freak, and even being a freak's not a guarantee because Landon Collins is quite the freak. I mean, if you're not a freak or have something just absurdly great about you, they, they tend to tend to look in the second, third, and fourth round because they found so many great safeties there. So um, it's not surprising at all, but I think most people expect Branch to be a really good football player. The NFL guys I talk to like to battle the same way I do. So um, it's going to be interesting. Um, Helen snuck in there in the seventh. So good for mm-hmm. him. I actually, I actually wonder. I think part of me would rather be an under. I know there's a pride factor. Oh, all of me, all yeah. of me. Yeah. There's a pride factor of saying I'm drafted, but part of me would rather be an undrafted free agent at that stage because I'm, you know, I'm risking a small signing bonus or whatever it is. I get to pick the team I try out for, and you definitely there's some NFL teams you can increase your odds greatly of making a team with some of these NFL teams, as you know. Yeah, and you can increase your bonus significantly Absolutely. if you're a coveted guy. I think I saw where one of the undrafted free agents this time around, over 300000 signing bonus yeah. as a UDFA, as a UFA. I, I, heck, yeah, give me that. Absolutely. Give me that potential, at least, for a, a little bit of a bidding war. And as you said, more importantly, I pick my spot. I pick my situation. You know, um, and, and you're right, though, there is definitely some some prestige that comes with being able to say you were a draft pick. But as far as your big picture future, um, a lot of instances, you might be better off, probably better off just just going undrafted there in that spot. So who was your favorite Alabama pick of the 2023 NFL draft? Now, favorite pick not named Bryce Young or Will Anderson? Was it Jameer? Was it Branch? Was it Battle? Was it, hell, Byron Young went before I thought he would go. You know, Byron Young went before Jordan Battle. I didn't really have that one on my draft bingo card, Tim. NFL guys like Byron Young. I mean, it's mm-hmm. hard to get a, you know, a run stopper. It's hard to get a plugger. Value, yeah. I mean, it's, it is. Those guys are just so many. You know, it's, first of all, it's easily to get injured. You sit in there between a guard and a tackle, it's not hard for those guys to get banged up pretty good. And, and um, so for Byron to put a, uh, you know, you know, put a healthy season together and kind of, you know, really had some moments this year. He had some huge moments from Alabama. That was good. I think my favorite was Brian Branch. I was always partial to Brian Branch. He, you know, obviously Will blew up and Brian ended up a top, top 50 type prospect, but just really good kid in the process. Another humble uh, good family guy, uh, works hard. And again, not like it's not, he's certainly, I'm not saying he's not a bad athlete. He's a good athlete, but he's not like that freaky athlete. So what he is to me is just a great football player. He's just a tremendous football player. Um, and I think he overcomes any, any kind of lack of four, you know, four, four speed that you see with some of the other guys like Landon or Jamal Adams or whoever that is. I think he's just a great football player. I'll go with Brian Branch, too, for most of the reasons that you outlined there, but also that he hung around for the second day. You know, after not going in the first round, it was kind of the Landon Collins revisit for Brian Branch. But my guy hung around him and got his moment with Roger Goodell on the big stage, even as a second rounder. You also talked about it earlier. We both have. Uh, love for the Detroit Lions, especially after seeing um, hard knocks last season. Uh, it seems like a place you'd want to be as a player. That 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 culture is really seemingly turning a corner there and um, potential for big things. Just hate to see Jamison Williams suspended for the start of the season. But otherwise, uh, with Jameer Gibbs there, Branch there, a lot to like. Jamison's suspension blows my mind. I can't understand it's legal, but it's not legal while you're at the yeah. facility. I can't understand. Uh, that's hard for me understood. I understood exactly what happened with Calvin. You know, mm-hmm. you're in the NFL. You can't bet on the NFL. I get that. I understand exactly what it was, but I didn't understand Jameson Williams. But, yeah, I agree. I like the draft. I know a lot of people boo Roger Goodell and don't hate him, and I've seen so many debates. But, you know, because he is. He's a, he's a hands-on guy. He is hugging and. He's grinning ear to ear and he's picking guys up and they're picking him up. But it's not 
it's not a one-way street. That's what I'd like to point out. Those guys are just as happy to see Roger, and I think he feeds off these young guys' energy. I think they're all – I mean, I saw him picking him up. He's, he's – you know, Roger Goodell is a decent-sized man. I saw him picking him up. I know that probably hurt him, but, you know, popping his back at least, though. But the excitement to see him living the dream, see these guys crying. Um, I mean, overall, I love the draft. I thought it was shitty with the Will Levis thing. I mean, you go to – you know, you know, you, you had him up there. I think I didn't talk to a single NFL person that thought he was going early in that draft. Not a single one said this several times. Most didn't think he was going to be a first round pick. I thought he'd end up in the first round simply because of the way the dominoes fall. You know, you go one, two, four a quarterback. You think somebody else is going to take a chance. But to keep flashing back to the guy over and over every pick. I mean, he didn't look like he was hurting. I mean, he was surrounded like <laughs> he had some very, some very attractive women around. He looked like he was having a good time, but I didn't really think that was like, I don't know, that felt, that felt like a gotcha moment to me. Yeah, that's rough. Um, you're right. Uh, he was comfortable. He seemed comfortable enough in that tough situation. Yeah, he did. You could kind of, Aaron Rodgers years ago when he was sliding there uh, through the first round, you could kind of see it on Aaron Rodgers' face and, Aaron Rodgers, to his credit, has made a lot of people pay for that uh, oversight in that draft. But, um, yeah, with Levis, it, it was it was tough. Uh, it was really kind of, as you pointed out, the opposite in terms of positional value of what you would see at quarterback and, say, running back. Because you're right. When you see quarterbacks coming off the board like that in the first four, you're thinking – Levis has got to be a first round pick at some point. Somebody, if nothing else, is going to trade up late into the first to get him just to be able to secure the potential for that fifth year option as a first round pick. Um, and then at running back, even though Bijan Robinson went as early as he did, and that felt like a really good thing for Jameer Gibbs, um, it did play out that way. You know, backs don't typically go that early, two of them for sure, in the top 12 picks, but. You said it earlier, it, it, it seemed to validate what you had said, that on some teams' boards, Jameer Gibbs was the equal to B. John Robinson, if not above B. John Robinson on those draft boards at running back. Yeah, I think it just comes down to what you want in a running back. I think they're both great. Uh, I think B. John Robinson's a terrific running back. Uh, obviously, I think Gibbs is a special talent as well. Uh, I'm not a big fan of drafting any running backs in the first round, to be honest. I've never thought the value really equals out. I mean, you go back to like an Adrian Peterson, but for the most part, I don't think you really, you get the value that you pay for them and, you know, short shelf life. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the two best guys out there. I mean, Gibbs brings a special value with the, you know, with the, the catching out of the backfield. Robinson's just a bruiser between the tackles, but it was a, a lot of people thought it was clear cut. But I don't think it was clear cut at all. I think there were people that I was kind of surprised the Lions took him. But then again, yeah. they traded DeAndre Swift a little bit yeah. simpler. They traded him to the Eagles, of course. And uh, so that kind of cleared it up. Got a pretty good value. Got a fourth round pick there. So they, uh, you know, they took their first ended up with the fourth back. And again, you're right. I believe the Titans traded up to get Levis, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah. In the second. Yeah. And that kind of happens. You get overnight, you take a chance and. I'm not a Titans fan, but they're an interesting organization. I mean, they spent a third on Malik last year and a, a second on um, Will Levis this year and probably have a chance to spend a first next year if they keep it up. So, But they're, they're, they're a talented team if they get the quarterback that's going to be going to be pretty competitive. But overall, yeah. the draft, it was good. I like the speed rounds and, the, and I like seeing the guys' reactions and all that stuff. So let me ask you this. Uh, too early first Alabama player picked in 2024, who would that selection be for you as we sit here right now? This is a tough one. I mean, this is a tough one because, you know, I think the top two candidates are Kool-Aid and JC, right? I mean, I, think I would think so. I think Dallas Turner could be in that mix potentially. Yeah, that's It's hard because again, you're coming down to what a team needs. They need a corner, you know, all value spots too, man. And that's yeah. the thing is that, you know, you know, you say, does the team need a rush in or a tackle or does he need a corner or do they need a cornerback? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> needs those three things every year. You're always looking to upgrade those positions. So I'll lean towards Latham because of, um, 
he's an offensive tackle, but I'm not going to be surprised at all if it's Kool-Aid. We've seen some guys, you know, you've seen the some of the most impactful rookies with Pat Sertan, who was a pro bowler right out of the gate. And then you had uh, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati that Bama played against in the playoffs. They had him locking it down last year. So you had both those guys going in the top 10. So I think Kool-Aid is going to get some heavy looks there. And, of course, Dallas, you know, he's going to have a, a chance to have a big year, you know. Yeah, I think uh, I was asked about this a month or so ago, and I went safe. And to me, safe is J.C. at the tackle position. Because I I, I've had a full year to see him. And I know you could say, well, what if he stays at right tackle, Tim? And he doesn't move to left tackle. Does that impact him potentially? Maybe. But, you know, in, in today's NFL, you, you, you ask a lot of both those guys. You know, a guy like Jawan Taylor has been a right tackle in Jacksonville the last three or four or five years. Uh, but that didn't keep the Kansas City Chiefs from throwing a huge number at him in free agency here recently even though he's a right tackle. So there's value regardless, left, right. I got to think more so these days than say 15, 20 years ago. You know, Dallas Turner's interesting because if he really kind of blows up this season, I'm not saying he can be Micah Parsons, but in terms of his positional versatility, Tim, there, there could be at least some talk about that, you know, what he could bring to the table. And then I think Kool-Aid's a pretty safe pick too at, at the corner position. And then you also consider um, Kool-Aid can return punts. You know, he's got to do a couple different things. You know, with Dallas though, it's going to be interesting because a little bit, you know, you've heard people say Dallas has it a little bit easier because there was so much attention paid to Will. So if he's doing it without Will, if you had any questions, I think he's going to answer those questions. You know, I think he'll, he'll answer a lot of those and, and again, like you said, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the thing with Micah, I believe he's recruited for inside backer and ended up, they ended up putting him outside, had some injuries to some players. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, he's had 26, 27 sacks in two years, just a wild man running, a freak of nature. But Dallas does have that that skill set he does, that, that find the quarterback, get the quarterback and all that stuff. So, yeah, three good things. You know, the question is, is there a fourth one? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I've got the over-under for the 2024 NFL draft for Alabama guys at three and a half. Do you think Alabama goes over or under that, potentially? Man, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, there's guys that you can see blowing up and moving in there. I mean, uh, you know, it might be far-fetched to somebody, but a guy like Tim Smith, could he blow up defensive tackles of priority? We saw Christian Barmore almost end up in the first round. There's guys. Chris Braswell's another one coming off the edge. Um, you know, least Benson, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's guys, Jefferson, there's guys, um, uh, although Jefferson size will probably hurt him. There's guys that definitely have an opportunity to move up in that draft and, uh, um, and do some things, a lot of opportunity there. Uh, especially like I said, for Tim Smith and Chris Braswell, cause they're, you know, one's a quarterback, one's a, one's a run stopper, uh, inside pressure. Then you got an outside guy. They have big opportunities this year to step up. We've seen, Alabama guys and their upperclassmen years step up in a way they never did as underclassmen. So, um, you know, Tim still, you know, he's still a dancing bear to me. You know, I still think he's got that potential. Yeah. So that'll be interesting if you go ahead and assume right now, anyway, that McKinstry, Latham, and Turner are potential first round guys, anyway, strong potential first round guys. Uh, where would that fourth come from if Alabama were to go over that? Three and a half. What about we talk about pro sports? Um, I know you're locked in. This is very much your time of year because you love the Major League Baseball. You love the NBA. Uh, do I need to go ahead and assume that the Lakers are just going to go ahead and win it all now at this point? I don't know. I mean, this NBA series is so, so weird. I think Golden State was still a little hungover from a game seven with, with, Sac- with Sacramento. Um, I don't, the, you know, the Lakers are an older team. The longer you take them, I think the more it affects them. Definitely makes moves at the deadline to get in there and, and compete more. For me, the, the series has been kind of weird. I mean, you've got so much, you know, you got Jimmy Butler, who's been dominating the playoffs. He misses a game. And, um, you know, you got, you know, Joel Embiid, the MVP, he's missing games. You just got so many guys missing games. It kind of irritates me. But, yeah, the, the playoffs have been amazing. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, every game. 
all of a sudden the East is scoring some points and you got matchups. It's narrowing down pretty quick. I mean, you're down to you cut the, the playoff teams in half, so it's moving on. Let me ask you, let's switch back to Bama baseball. What did you take? <laughs> I don't want to miss this subject. What is, I don't understand what that <sighs> on Alabama games meant. Like ever again or that weekend or that game. What is that in? In Ohio, but in Ohio where there's obviously just a ton of money that comes in and out on Alabama baseball in Ohio. That, that, that something, I mean, the last time I heard this, I just saw a documentary. It's why it's so wild. It was the, remember the Arizona State scandal basketball? Oh, yeah. They went in the locker room and said, hey, (laughs) you better cut the shit. You better go in there and win this game. And they ended up covering, but they were slagging at halftime. They got some guys from shaving points and all this stuff. That's the last time I even heard mention of this. But Ohio stops the betting on a Bama game where the number suspicious one suspicious activity. Yeah. What was I don't understand. What was suspicious? Well, apparently there was a pitching starting pitching change made just prior to the start of game one of the series. Uh, and with that came a very large bet on LSU, which, you know, LSU is the number one ranked team in the country and has perhaps the number one pitcher in the country going on Friday nights against an Alabama team that is struggling to kind of maintain connection with 500 baseball in the SEC. And there's no shame in that. We know it's a brutal league. So I, that that's where it doesn't all add up to me. It, it wasn't like somebody came in big or it just came in at all on Alabama and Alabama won the game. You know, I, I, I guess I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I, that's what I can't figure out the angle. That's what I can't figure out what they're saying. They were all very competitive games. Yeah. They, all, they were all high scoring. I mean, Alabama scored 25, 25 26 runs in that game series. Um, uh, was it was definitely in the first two, you know, the first, uh, the first and third game, very, very competitive. I just couldn't understand. I read that. And I was like, I didn't know you could gamble in Ohio. Maybe this is just some kind of promo. It was just odd to me for that. To well, it's only it's only suspicious activity when the public wins. You ever notice that when the house wins, Tim, yes. there's no no question about what happened. You know, somebody came in, made a big bet, kicked the man in Ohio in the teeth and he didn't like it, you know, or some. And I know this is some agency that issued this red flag about this. Well, you know. I mean, they're just, it's kind why of, did, why aren't all of them banning Alabama baseball? Alabama isn't, isn't digging in or suing. I mean, it's kind of slanderous. It implies there was cheating involved. And Alabama's already dealing with enough crap. Yes. I mean, you got the lawsuit from a couple of weeks ago. It's just yeah, been a surreal yeah. season. I would be like, dude, you got to explain what, what the hell you're talking about. That's kind of where I would be at. Let me ask you this. Is there a bigger cry for help? than gambling on college baseball to begin with. I mean, you're asking for it. To me, if you gamble on college baseball, you yeah, got whatever's coming to you yeah. if, it, if it doesn't work out. Those aluminum bats, yeah, you know what I mean? You're already dealing with those, those BB core, whatever they use, and they're ding, you know what I mean? I remember when... The, the inconsistent pitching, oh, dude, um, and everything that goes with it. The fact that these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. You yeah, know? I was fairly young. I remember when Alabama, you remember when Bama played uh, Clemson? It was a kid's name, Chris Benson. Yeah, the pitcher. Dude, yeah. he, I don't know Chris where... with a K. But there was talk that he was going number one. He was, you know, the best pitcher and all that. And Alabama lit him up pretty good, if I remember collect, correctly. And that's when it, not that he wasn't a good pitcher, it was just that that's what happens um, with those bats. I mean, they're the they're the <laughs> they're the great equalizer. Yeah, he was the first pick of the '96 baseball draft. I just looked it up, and Bama, you know, Bama had a really good offensive performance against him. And that, you know, and being a major league guy, you're just not used to, you know, Randy Johnson or Roger Clemens or Greg Maddox getting stung for eight runs in four innings. You know, it just didn't happen very often. So. Uh, anyways, I was just very interesting, out of the blue. Um, just a bizarre season for I mean, Alabama baseball, man. Yes, yeah, just the weirdest, most bizarre, the best way to put it, bizarre things have happened this year. And get Vanderbilt starting tomorrow night at the Joe for three games this weekend. So, uh, 
five. What's that? Is Vanderbilt top five? I think I saw they got swept by Tennessee. Are they still ranked pretty yeah, high? Yeah, they're they're top ish I'm sure. But you're right. They uh, Tennessee's hot right now. Tennessee's very hot right now, playing their ba- best baseball, no doubt about that. But uh, we know it'll be a tough series. Here's the thing about Alabama too: they've had injuries to their pitching staff as it is. So if you're really, really into it from a gambling perspective, you you should have known that. So the potential for anything for Alabama's weekend pitching or pitching in general right now uh, is, is there. And it's kind of played out that way for a couple different reasons this season. So Alabama nine and 12 in the league, still very much in a good place where Hoover is concerned and kind of depending on these next couple of weekends, we'll know a lot more about its viability where an NCA regional bid is concerned as well. Hey, Tim, um, you ready to get into this roundtable mailbag? I am. Let's do it. Let's go to the roundtable mailbag, which you can find right there at BamaOnline.com. And as always, we certainly appreciate all of the loyal subscribers who contribute to our mailbag on a weekly basis. You know, we asked the question, a favorite Alabama pick not named Bryce Young or Will Anderson Dr. Back in the roundtable mailbag says Brian Branch. Uh, Dr. Back says, really proud of Brian for sticking around for day two. I hear you on that one. Um, He also says, I know the quarterback situation has been discussed ad nauseum, but now that the dust has settled a bit, what are your thoughts? I think we pretty much covered that earlier for you, Dr. Back. He wants to know who starts at left tackle. We talked about J.C. Latham in relation to the 2024 NFL draft. You know, I've watched A-Day probably three or four times back now, and it, it wasn't the best of performances for Elijah Pritchett, but as is often the case, Tim, it's never as bad as it seems, and it's never as good as it seems. It seemed like to me, watching it back, most of his struggles came late in each half, late in the first half, late in the second half, which makes me wonder if stamina came into play for him. When you think about reps, um, you know, that may be something he's still working through as a young tackle, but even with that, do you, do you still think it could be Caden Proctor, Latham maybe switches over there? What are you thinking? Yeah, I think worst case, I mean, I think the, 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 the I'm not sure of the word, the safest bet is Latham will move over there if they see any struggles anywhere else, because that is going to be the priority as far as the protection side, I think, um, uh, obviously, they'd like Pritchard or somebody else to step up over there. I think Proctor's still got four months to be a factor, but he is a true freshman. He didn't play the highest level of high school. That doesn't always matter because we've seen guys come from small schools or smaller football and be ready to contribute right away. And then we've seen guys that come from smaller football and they needed two or three years to adjust um, You know, based on that curve. I, I think Latham ends up there personally. Maybe I'm wrong. I just think that he's going to be the most consistent. You're going to have a new quarterback regardless. You're going to have a new starting quarterback for the first time. There's probably a little less pressure, a little less pressure on the right side than the left side. So if you've got to break in an offensive tackle, maybe that's the that's the area you want to do it. I'll tell you what. I think it's not too early to go ahead and say Alabama hit it on this offensive line class too. Uh, Caden Proctor looked really good in the 8A scrimmage watching it back. And then on the other side, you had Miles McVeigh, another true freshman. And then for McVeigh, you had Wilkin Formby there in the second half at right tackle. I thought all three of those freshman tackles looked good. Um, Olasalinen worked at the guard position uh, throughout the spring and in the 8A game. So really good looking group of young players. Um, also, Dr. Back wants to know. Do we have any concerns, Tim, about all the wide receiver drops in the A-Day game? Oh, yeah. I don't think he should be dropped. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are some of those passes. I mean, you know, I've never subscribed to the if it touches your hand, you should catch it. Although I grew up in a generation of guys standing there telling you, you should, <laughs> if you get a finger on it, you can catch it. That literally is not even close to accurate. But <laughs> uh, those passes were very beautiful throws i mean they stuck it in their pocket and they just dropped him i really will hope isaiah cleans it up because uh, he's such a big threat and also him catching the ball cleanly with his speed is big big trouble burton's always 
you know, that I've noticed. He's always had lapses of concentration. He's got hands. He just he drops some you wouldn't expect him to drop. But yeah, you don't want him. You don't want him dropping anything, honestly. You know, you don't want him. You know, you don't want a single pass drop, but you certainly don't want to. I don't even know how many was it in that game. Do you know? Oh, it was five plus. Yeah. You know, watching it back, it's not just the drops either. It's not winning enough contested balls, the 50-50s. Now, you know, I feel like we're at a point where Ja'Cory Brooks has proven he can do that and do it in some big moments. And he did it again. He had a nice double move against Kool-Aid in the 8A game, and then he followed that up at the end of the route with an adjustment on the ball that was underthrown, and he ends up picking up 35 yards. So I feel good about Ja'Cory Brooks in that regard. And I think Kendrick Law showed you uh, at the moment of truth even with contact coming or difficult catches where you have to have body control and hands. Uh, he has a look at one of those kind of guys too, Tim. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you come in and, you know, think about it is with so much talent, there's a lot of guys with speed. So the ones that, you know, aren't going to consistently catch the ball are obviously going to fall behind, behind the other guys. We know Kobe's a pretty good, you know, pretty good ball catcher. So there's guys out there never heard anything less than Benson's got good hands. So, again, I think Burton's just a last lapse of concentration at times. Um, and Bonds, of course, is coming from a track background and, you know, trying to, you know, trying to adjust to that. But, I mean, he's caught enough passes. He just got to, you know, he just got to you know, grip that thing and go. Yeah, I just like to see these guys again. Um, you, you see some good adjustments to some some balls that aren't on the money. I think Prentice had one in the 8A game, too, from maybe Lonergan on a deep ball where he made the adjustment goes up with both hands and, you know, just didn't finish the catch. So those young receivers, you kind of anticipate them continuing to make improvement. It's, as you said, I, I'm more worried about the older guys that it seems like it's still an issue for. And that's understanding Julio Jones drop balls, right? I mean, yeah, some guys are just going to drop passes. I mean, we yeah. that Julio would drop them. Jamison uh, dropped a couple, you know, I've noticed like even the best pros, sometimes I think they just, they drop them. Because they simply, it's not going to be worth the, 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 the juice isn't going to be worth the squeeze. <laughs> I yeah. think sometimes they know taking a big hit for a one-yard gain. Because, you know, a lot of what Julio's dropped are probably what I would consider some of his easier passes he had. Five-yard sticker outs, you yeah. know. I never really yeah. saw him drop like the one into double coverage where he had to leap over everybody. He didn't miss many of those opportunities. So, um, yeah, definitely drops are a concern. Yeah, you definitely don't want him dropping passes. Yeah, Nick Saban after the 8A game, not that it was an attempt. He's not worried about calming the masses. It was just he made the statement that through 14 practices, it hadn't been a problem for Alabama receivers. But it definitely was on the 8A game. And as a result, that's what we see. That's what fans see. So uh, no Dr. Back. I don't think that concern from a year ago is going away anytime soon. Big Bama boy checking in here in the roundtable mailbag. He says, I'd love to hear thoughts post a day regarding the linebackers and who will play significant roles this year. We all think that Lawson will start, but who realistically starts opposite him and how does the staff get more talented linebackers on the field this year to keep them all from jumping into the portal? Lots of talk about Trez Marshall playing since he has experience at UGA, but Jefferson looked like a heat-seeking missile, Justin Jefferson, that is, on A-Day. Campbell and Murphy are highly rated five-stars. Blackshire is a potential beast in the middle as well. Though he seemed like a high-risk, high-reward type of player, great one play, lost on the next. So what about inside linebacker? Starting with Deontay Lawson, Tim, Trez Marshall coming in. Jahad Campbell very much in that mix. And then, again, Justin Jefferson showing some really good things, especially between the tackles in the 8A game. Yeah, I really like Jefferson. I mean, we saw him down there covering in some coverage. We saw Marshall down in some coverage. I expect both of them to be uh, contributors. Blackshire, did he lead the game in tackles? I know he was up there pretty good. He's around the ball, a big thumper, you know, you know, probably not as, as, as fast as a guy like He Jefferson. had eight, so uh... – he had the most solos, I think, in the yeah, game, though. Eight, seven of his eight were solos. Yeah, he was around the ball a lot. So uh, Campbell's still a guy I'm high on. Really good to see his adjustment. You know, I feel like it's almost, you know, rather quickly because 
Um, you know, last year, he's kind of just that rush in. And once you got to learn the linebacker position, I mean, it could take a minute. So, um, you know, overall, I think Marshall, Marshall's a guy I'm going to watch closely. I mean, I'm going to trust. I've talked to a lot of people I do trust that said, you know, stuck behind some really good linebackers at Georgia because of injuries. Not not hard to figure out at all. That's possible. Georgia does a good job with linebackers. And, um, you know, a fully healthy year with him, I think it could be his year. Yeah, I, I feel safe. I feel comfortable with Marshall, given his background and, and, the, and the experience and the time he has had at this level. Uh, even though, again, a couple of those uh, seasons have been marred by injuries. Um, I, I think that Jefferson is very interesting in that you watch him one play. There was a play early in the 8A game where uh, I think Ola Salinan, you know, a, an early enrollee and, and going to be a really good player. He pulls out. And I mean, Justin Jefferson just blows him up and it leads to a stuff of a run. But uh, he's got a lot of that in him. And, and there's a lot of energy that you get from Justin Jefferson. I think there is still you see in some some instances where there's obviously some need for polish. I think Kendrick Blackshire, it's kind of the same thing. I'll tell you this, Kendrick Blackshire and Justin Jefferson, if we were just talking about the base defense and the big nickel on early downs, I'm pretty comfortable with those guys. I think once you get into second and long, third and long, true nickel, dime rabbits, those type of roles, um, you know, that, I'm not quite there maybe with, with those guys yet, but there's there's still plenty feel, of time for that to take place. What I feel like is there's a there's a lot of com- competition there. Oh, no doubt. I have yeah. not felt that was always the case. You know, when Henry Toa Toa showed up, I mean, it's basically him and Christian. There just wasn't a lot of competition. And don't forget, we didn't really expect – Think about that. We didn't expect Christian to make such a quick adjustment from a from a playing in the secondary in high school to a linebacker that quickly and being a pretty good one. Um, you had that. And then you had a transfer toe toe. So that linebacking group, you know, left a lot to be desired. And now when you look, there's some depth, there's some guys. And we know I mean, I know it's a cliche that iron sharpens iron, but it, it's literally true. So you got guys. When you have to outwork the guy behind you and he's pretty good, there's nothing bad coming from that. Yeah, no doubt. And it looks like they got they got through the portal window there from the 15th to the 30th intact. Um, So similar to quarterback, Uh, I think you're going to see a a really talented and deep room make its way at least towards fall camp, uh, Tim, with with that position. I would agree. So uh, what we've got here, too, in the roundtable mailbag. Is Diyoshi 23, he says, I think the branch pick was a steal for the Lions. I also like Battle going to Cincinnati and Latou with the 49ers. What about the best unsigned free agent pickup? I hope Ekior does well in Indianapolis. He may not have been the best lineman, but he played hard for Alabama. Undrafted free agents for Alabama in that group. What do you think? Um Ekior has got that. He's got a lot of experience, and I think I think there's a good chance he'll make a practice squad, right? You get those guys, quality offensive linemen. Um, try to think who all was an undrafted free agent off the top of my head. Um, I know Emil was um, Ricks. I'm interested in Eli Ricks. I mean, this is this is a uh, this is very interesting for me because. I mean, we had people arguing with me that he's a first-round pick. He's never going to be a first-round pick. He couldn't come back and have a healthy year and end up in the first round. I don't think the NFL is going to draft. Uh, when it comes to cornerbacks more than any other position, I think, outside of wide – well, not even wide receiver. Cornerbacks are all about their testing to me. I mean, almost every one of the guys that go high is is a guy that's going to test really well. I don't think Ricks is going to be a – really well, you know, it's not going to test, you know, that well, especially speed wise and stuff like that. However, outside of the medicals, which I think held him back some off the field stuff, I think he does stick in the NFL. I think he's that, you know, long armed, aggressive, confident defensive back. That's one thing he's got. I think he's going to have a chance to go in there and, and, uh, and compete. And again, we saw Savion Smith stick in the NFL and nobody would have expected Savion to stick. And another one's Jalen Moody. That's another guy. Worst case scenario, Jalen. That's my guy that I was going to go with. Yeah, with the special Bengals. Team, special teams player, worst case scenario. So I think a few of these guys, DJ Dale, uh, I'm not sure what NFL Kendall team. Randolph. Yeah, I mean, that's another one. We saw what was the Michael Williams. You remember Michael Williams from uh, – 
Alabama. They ended when up is, uh, several years in the NFL. Converted to an offensive tackle exactly. at one point, yeah. That's exactly right. So a guy we didn't think, but he had a pretty successful uh, NFL career, too. Randall could follow that same path or similar path. I'm happy that Kendall Randolph is, is getting a shot, you know, if nothing else. Six-year guy, did everything that was asked of him. You, you made the comparison there uh, to some previous instances, players. Um, that dude's a team guy. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, it. It is tough, though. I mean, if you're if you're going to the league as a offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, uh, you don't have that opportunity really on special teams that a Jalen Moody is going to have, and that's where I like uh, Moody's potential at least yeah. with the uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, so we'll wrap up the roundtable mailbag with Gsay zero zero one who asks. How would you rank the five quarterbacks heading into the first game? And how do you think the battle will play out by midseason? Seems like G-Say, Tim, might be thinking this thing might require a few games or a few weeks to to totally figure out. Hey, we've seen that before. I mean, when you look at, you know, for me, ranking the top five is almost impossible. I mean, I could take a guess at it, but it's it would just be a guess. I'm not even sure you could call it an educated guess at this stage. Buckner in there is definitely a wild card. Not that familiar with him. The one thing I will say is I know Tommy Reese is familiar with him. I'm still a Milrose slightly over Ty guy. Um, at the end of the day, I love some of the things Jalen did in that uh, in that spring game. I understand he made some mistakes, and I expected him to, and that's going to be the things that's going to you know probably hurt him the most with with Coach Saban and the staff. Those those you know that bad pick from the end zone and and stuff like that, but. I think Jalen's got a little bit of a head start over everybody, but obviously, I mean, bringing in a transfer and again, you don't know the exact motives there. I mean, you know, the Alabama offered Buckner out of high school, if I remember correctly, like early in his career, three or four years ago, Alabama offered Buckner at one point. Um, Obviously Reese offered him and took him and committed him and he came here. And, you know, the interesting thing about Buckner is he had interest from other colleges he definitely had interest from other colleges, but he was a guy that didn't want to be contacted when he hit the portal. Alabama was going to be his first choice if they could get everything figured out, which is what happened. He didn't want a lot of attention. He didn't want a, a whole recruiting pitch, kind of knew where he wanted to go. So still has three years of eligibility, I believe. So he's obviously going to be in the mix. I give the freshmen the back four and five spots simply because they're t- true freshmen. I don't think it's mm-hmm. a a talent issue, I think it's more of an experience issue. Yeah, in retrospect, the Buckner situation almost feels like something Alabama had in its back pocket maybe all along, and and maybe that was the case in, in, in the mindset of Buckner, too, with what he was dealing with in, in competition at Notre Dame with a with a grad transfer coming in and, and that type of situation. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna invoke the oars. You know, every every game week Monday at the start of a football season, Alabama issues that that precious depth chart. And how many oars do we see between guys, Tim? Right. At just about every position. So I'll go Jalen Milrow or Tyler Buckner or Ty Simpson. And then I'm with you. Then I've got that that true freshman duo. And I'll go Dylan Lonergan or Eli Holstein. How about that? Did I did I wimp out on that one? Uh, G say I think I did. I mean anybody yeah. rank I mean anybody saying assertively who the top five are outside of yeah. you know I'm not you know even Alabama staff I wonder how assertive they are with the you know would be with the top five right now and um so definitely us we're at a, we're at a huge disadvantage so I think that you know you know G say I think he expected us to have to speculate a little bit. Sure. And and I do think GSA is in asking if if how it will play out by midseason. Uh, that's a reasonable question, too, because absolutely. If you're bringing in a transfer portal quarterback in early May, that tells me you're not really there yet in the evaluation process, obviously. And uh, you still need to see a good bit more. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier Um Look, there's going to be summer workouts, and we can talk about them being voluntary, and they are, but there will be feedback. 
that the coaching staff will be able to take from that. Maybe even more so in terms of intangibles, especially with a newcomer coming in. How do the guys respond to this guy initially? How is he working to build relationships? When you talk about Tyler Buckner, that may be as big a concern you have for him as anything else. Because once you get into fall camp, you know, if, if you really have three guys in that mix, um, going to be fascinating to kind of try to figure out how the reps are going to work and for how long the reps are going to work before you got to get into to game week mode. And, and Middle Tennessee is your opener should help there, too. It, it's better for the coaching staff, I would think, Tim, than opening with Texas in week one and, and trying to still figure this thing out. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, it's a it's a it's a tough it's a tough situation. I mean, when you got three guys coming in and you're trying to balance that, you want to give everybody a chance. You know, there's a chance somebody could you know, hit the hit the portal in the fall. Um, you got the two freshmen, you know, back there, too. And uh, it would be interesting, super interesting if Dylan or, or, or Eli, one of them got in the mix at some point in the fall. Yeah, game. that'd be wild. That would be amazing. I just like I agree with you, what you said earlier. I just don't think there's enough opportunity. I think at some point you got to whittle down the list of, you know, of, of what you're going to do. I think if there's still a situation where you're not sold on your guy by midseason, that's probably bad news in terms of the win-loss column because you're going to have some challenges in that first six weeks, uh, even before you get to Tennessee. Texas, obviously, uh, up there at the top of that list. But if you get to midseason and you still don't have it figured out, that's when I could see a Lonergan or a Holstein maybe being a part of this thing truly. Uh, if you get to midseason and, and and you haven't got it with your your top two or three guys that you went into the summer with, um, it, it could be a young guy. We'll see. Hey Tim, that's going to do it for the roundtable mailbag. Anything else before we get out of here? No, that's it. Good one. Wrap Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. We got uh, got a big weekend coming up. We got a big week coming up next week as well. As you know, it never stops at BamaOnline.com, and we certainly encourage you to join us right there at BOL. The roundtable is the place to be. It's the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. That's where you're going to learn everything you want to know about the Crimson Tide first, right there at the roundtable. Great conversation. A lot of fun. We have a lot of fun there at the roundtable. And uh, look forward to seeing you there with us. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryder, thanking you once again for joining us here on T. Watts and TR, part of the Bama Online Podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.